We say here at the Orchard, it's fun to be us. We like to have some fun. We also say we keep Jesus the main thing. Above all things, and that's what we've been doing in the book of John, and this is the last week. The last week of this year-long series, if this is your first time tuning in with us online or, or maybe in Vanuatu, Afghanistan, or anywhere else in the nation, or even here in this place, well then, um, you have a lot of podcasting to go catch up on. No, I'm kidding. God's got something for each of us today, but first I want to re- um, refer to something that's coming this Friday. We have a Good Friday service right here in this place, and it's going to be a Passover Seder. Um, we have a speaker from Jews for Jesus who's going to come and present the Passover in a Hebrew context. And I would encourage you to be a part of this, to see what Passover is about. To do that, you need to take out your bulletin and go to the QR code or the website to register for that Uh, QR code. What that means for some of you is you take your flip phone and take a picture of it. I'm kidding. I don't know what it means, but something happens with your phone. Now, in the book of John... We have concluded all the chapters, and at the end of the, of the book of John, there's this, now what? There should be a therefore. Therefore, because of all the things that we have just studied, because of the, the last year that we have learned about the festivals and Jesus, and we've seen his emotion, we've, we've put ourselves in these stories, it's been amazing, but now there should be a therefore. What, what does it mean for us? Now remember, 90% of the book of John is unique to John's account. He, he, he includes things that the other disciples who wrote their books later in, in Luke, they, they don't put in there. John actually includes only seven miracles. He picks them specifically. John, led by the Holy Spirit, later in his life, sits down to write this book with a purpose in mind. And he tells us this purpose. Point blank, he says this. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the, one, the seven I recorded in this book. But these, what I have chosen, what I've been led by the Spirit to write, these are written that you may believe. That you may what? Come on, 10 a.m. Come on, come on, come on. That you may what? That you may believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. I wrote this book so that you can read it and believe. That's why I wrote this. The sole reason. And you know what? John wrote the book so that people can believe in Jesus. And I'll be honest, that's the reason I preach. I don't preach a political Jesus. We don't preach preach a cultural or American Jesus. We don't preach a self-help or prosperity Jesus. We preach a resurrected Jesus so people who are far from Jesus can come close. We preach a resurrected Jesus so people who've been in church for 40 years and their their faith is cooled and their passion waned can once again come close and feel that fire in their heart and the passion grow as they walk with Jesus. That's the Jesus we preach. The main thing, the Jesus above all earthly issues and parties and things like that, we preach the resurrected Jesus. And so my hope is that through this series, if you've been with us, that you have come to believe more in Jesus in some way. My goal today isn't that you just come and hear some great music from our amazing band and hear a good sermon. My, my, my goal is every Sunday that you will come in here and have an encounter with God Almighty and leave here in some way different. That's a successful Sunday to me, and that's why I need, we need God's presence. Only he can do that. Listen, John lets us know as he goes through this, about the, as he talks about who Jesus is, that there's something we must do That for the person who follows Jesus, there's something for us to do. 
that there should be, he wants us to do something about our faith. Yes, if you believed, I wrote this down for you, and now there's something for those of you who believe to go do. So we look at John. Listen, think of him. Think of all that he has seen, all the miracles. Think of all that he has heard, all the sermons. He's seen Jesus laugh. He's seen Jesus cry. He's been on the road with them, and he's, he's had his faith crushed as he watched Jesus on the cross, but then he had his faith explode as he saw a resurrected Jesus. John, he's seen. John has heard. John has believed. And John now tells us what you do after you have heard and you have believed. You tell. That's what he did with the book. He heard, he believed, and he wrote it down to tell. And that's what we are to do. That's why he wrote it. That was this one purpose in mind, and he sets the pattern here. We hear, we believe, and we tell. As a Jesus follower, someone who has faith in Jesus, that's, this is what we're asked to do. That's the pattern that we're supposed to follow. We witness God's goodness somewhere in our life. And then we, we go out and we, we tell people about what he has done in us. And for us, hear, believe, tell. This is how the message of Jesus spread. This is how it's always spread. This is how revival and spiritual awakening happened in places. And this is how the, um, the message of Jesus spanned the globe. Hear, believe, tell. This is the natural way uh, the life of a Jesus follower should look. This is just naturally how we should live. By hearing, believing all the more on days like this, and then going and telling. Now, although that's the natural way, it, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? It's difficult. But what, what was meant to happen is that as, as, you, as we believe in Jesus and salvation externally enters in from the Son of God, and then once you have salvation, you are resourced internally by the Spirit with peace and love and grace, is that there would be an expression of that. As we're being filled by what the Spirit is doing, then saved by what Jesus has done, that there would be an overflow from that for what, for what God has done in our lives, and that those around us would hear about it, would know about it, that they would see it. They would see some change. The Bible says this it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And for a heart that is captured by what Jesus has done and is doing, our hearts should speak of it. Now, in our American culture, and especially here in the western slope where we are in Colorado, speaking about your faith is, is something that, that some people just cringe at. Like, oh. In fact, Jim Gaffigan, a comedian, he has a bit about, um, just, is there anything more uncomfortable than a stranger coming up and saying, oh, I'd like to talk to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is there anything more uncomfortable than that? Like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, jo it's a joke, you know? And one thing that we need to, to look at is, is, is what, why is it so hard for us? And is there a way to hear, believe, and tell that isn't cringy, that is natural, that is the way God intended? Well, I'm glad you asked. And this week is Palm Sunday. We will celebrate Jesus' resurrection and we're going to talk about something today called the gospel. Now, gospel is a word that's only, fairly much only used in a church setting, only in religious settings. But gospel means good news. It's as simple as that. Gospel means good news. And gospel, in terms of Christianity, is the good news of Jesus. It's what he has done for us. 
Listen to this verse Paul writes about the gospel in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the good news, for the good news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He's echoing what John said there, that there's this belief that leads to salvation, and then he's not ashamed of it as he goes and tells good news. Let me tell you something about good news. Good news by its nature is shared. Good news by its nature needs to be shared. Have you ever shared marginal news? Did you ever just run out of your house so excited and go, I painted the rooms beige? No. No. We, good news by its nature is meant to be shared. Orchard, today's message is undeniably a message for, for many of us who, who have been a part of what God is doing and for those of us here in this place or who have entered into the, the family of God. And if you are a guest listening to us or watching us or here in this place. This doesn't exclude you. I'm, I'm hoping that, that in this message you hear something unique that what Jesus has done, uniquely about Jesus, that you dive in. If this is your first Sunday, this could be the springboard for what God is going to do in your life and through your life. We're a church family that loves God and loves people. We don't just put it on our t-shirts. We want it written on our hearts. That we would be a church that loves God and loves people. No asterisks, all people. That we love the way Jesus loved. That we live the way Jesus lived. That is, that we are seeing the good news that he has done in our lives flow out of our lives. And next week on Resurrection Sunday, it's the day we celebrate the good news. Easter is the day that it became good news. No Easter no good news. If you read the accounts of the disciples before that, that morning, they weren't living in gospel. They weren't living in good news. Easter's important. Now, culturally, Easter um, is, is a, it's a, the name that we use for the, what was the Passover Seder, the Passover weekend. Culturally, uh, people come to Easter, and, and here we are, in greater numbers. They just do. And next week, we expect to have hundreds of guests here with us. So I'm going to talk to us right here, right now. I want to give you a little direction because you have a role to play if you are here with me today. Guests don't arrive five to ten minutes late like some of you jokers, okay? <laughs> They're always here early reading the bulletin. That's how you know. So I'm going to challenge you, Orchard, to show up on time. I'm also going to ask you of this. I'm going to ask you if you can. Now, I know if you have little kids, this is going to be like, you know, splitting the Red Sea. If you can, to show up at 8.30 so that our guests who will mainly come at 10. Now the 8.30 service, don't tell them I said this about them, but they, they could use a little 10 o'clock in there, right? So, so when you show up, and, and, the, and you'll show up at 8, 8.30 a.m., and you'll be kind of bleary-eyed because you're not used to it, they'll be the ones that are smiling and happy. They're the morning people, okay? So if you can, show up at 8.30, park far, and the last thing I want you to do is say hi. Like when you see people you don't know, say hello. Now, you might welcome someone to the church, and they go, well, I'm an 8.30 person. I've been coming here for 10 years. That's okay. Now you know each other, you know? So if you can, show up at 8.30, park far, arrive early, and be warm. Say hi. We're going to have our, a bunch of guests here. We're expecting it to be a busy service. Um, we're expecting it to be a busy day. And, and, and the truth is, um, it's an important day. It's an important day. And, and I, I can't overstate it. Every year I see people who show up to Easter. I, saw, I remember a gentleman who showed up to Easter, and uh, God spoke to him. God moved in his heart. He was struck and he came back next week with his wife. And then two weeks with his with daughters. 
and his family, and then he brought friends, and then there was some baptisms, and we see the effects of what God does when he moves through things like this. And so I want us to make room for, um, for, for God to move. And it's not just a me thing, not just a Micah thing, it's an us thing. We are a church family. So that's what I'm going to ask you about. That's what I'm going to ask you for. When Jesus rose on Sunday, good news rose with him. And we love good news. Again, good news by its nature is meant to be shared. And the good news of Jesus is actually the greatest news. The gospel offers us what we cannot earn for ourselves. The good news does in us what we cannot do in ourselves. The good news gospel redeems what we cannot restore ourselves. The gospel saves the soul that we cannot save ourselves. The good news calls us to an eternal home we cannot find on our own. The gospel, the good news, is a gift. And sometimes we forget it's good. We forget just how good it is. The gospel of Jesus is that we were dead in our sin and he loved us so much that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered sin for us. And so that we who place our faith in him, we have forgiveness in our past. We have peace and we have purpose in our present and we have hope in our future. And not just someday in the cloud future, like tomorrow, he calls you to hope. Some of you need to be reminded that the work of Jesus is a good work. It's a good thing. You have good news in you, and good news by its nature is meant to be shared. Some of us are acting like being a Christian is, is marginal news at best. It's time to remember this is good news. In fact, when Jesus rose from the, gra the grave, he gave us this last command, this commission. He said, now go and tell the whole world. Start where you are and go. So why don't, we're going to start where we are, but go and tell. It's in our hands. Orchard, wherever you are, wherever you are, that's where you're meant to tell. I want to just give you some quick statistics about our nation. People researched this stuff for us. There was a survey given to people who don't attend church, and it said that 82% of them would likely attend, they would respond favorably to a personal invite from someone they knew. People who don't go to church would respond favorably to a personal invite from someone they knew. 82% of them would. People don't come to church because of a nice building. They don't come to church because of good music or because of preaching. Lord, they don't come because of that stuff. They come because someone invites them. Now, 82% would respond favorably. Guess the statistic of what percentage of um, Jesus followers who claim to be a Christian, how many people invited somebody in the past 365 days? What would you guess the percentage would be? It's 4%. 4%. If 82% would respond favorably, but only 4% are even asking. Jesus has left it in our hands. He's left the inviting to us, and 4% of us are asking. Orchard, I want us to always be an outlier when it comes to religious statistics. That we take Jesus at his word, and we, take, we, we believe that he is who he says he is, and that we, we want to live the way he li lived. And so I, I know some of you guys are inviting people every week. <laughs> well, I want us to be an outlier because our communities, we want them to know the life that we have. So here, here's how I want to do this. I want to conclude the book of John in a very fitting manner by looking at an obscure Old Testament story. Sound good? It's about kind of how we roll, right? 
This is one of my favorites when it comes to those statistics, when it comes to good news. It's a message that's a great reminder about the heart of God and about us and how we are to live. It's a reminder that when we have good news, good news by its nature is meant to be shared. So we're going to be in 2 Kings 6 and 7 today. It's a history book in the Old Testament. We're going to start in verse 24. You can read along with me. It says this, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Syria. Syria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, God's people, and it's surrounded by this invading army. Now, siege warfare is not something we're all that familiar with in our culture. There currently is a siege right now going on in, in Ukraine that's been going since February 24th, and that's a newer thing for our culture because it's not something you, you see every day. But let me refresh you what siege would look like back then. And you can imagine what it's looking like now. You see, if you invaded a walled city, if you invaded a walled city, you would have to scale the walls, destroy the walls, and breach the defenses. And that usually came at a great cost to the invading army. So the attacking army instead would simply impose a different tactic where there would be zero bloodshed. It's called a siege. A siege is when a city, or I'm sorry, enemy forces surround a city, cutting off every essential supply to compel the people in the city to finally say, we give up, we're good, we surrender. It's a war of attrition to see who can outlast the other. Now the, now the surrounding army would be well stocked. They would have fresh supplies coming in, but those who were inside the city would only have what they had. In fact, the, la- the word siege comes from a Latin word that means to sit. I'm going to show up around your city and sit and wait. And you tell me when you're done. Inside the city, it would be a much different story than outside. They would have only the essentials that they could forage, find, refresh within their walls or that they already had access to. If there's no water source, there's stories about all these. If there's no water source, the siege is over in, in mere days. If they have water, well, then you're looking at food. And it goes longer. The food would dwindle and soon people would be eating anything, anything they could find, as we'll see in a moment. Sieges for the people inside are are horrifying. The people inside a siege become desperate and they begin to make desperate decisions that they would never make otherwise. In fact, until recently, actually it's still true, those type of siege tactics violate international war crime laws because of the effect it has on civilians and, 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 and children. So the king of Aram has attacked the northern kingdom. He, sur- he surrounded it, cut it off from all food, all essentials. The next verse says, As a result, there was a great famine in the city, of course. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. A cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. The most unsavory things and objects are now expensive. But what gets, it, gets, it gets worse. In fact, what about those who don't have money? What about those who can't afford a donkey's head to eat? Well, the next verse, one of these people approaches the king. One day the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city. Perhaps, perhaps he was praying. Perhaps he was looking out at the sieging army and his people and wondering how long this would last. And the woman called up to him, Please help me, my lord, the king. 
And now, for, because I never know who's listening, I, w- I want to temper the next part. You're welcome to read what it says word for word. I'm going to temper the next part because it's truly horrifying. Um, the people in the city have gotten so desperate for food, they've eaten all the leather, they've eaten the grass, they've eat- they said they've eaten softened wood and animals, they've eaten everything they could to, to stay alive. They're in desperation. And people in desperation, that leads, us, that leads to depravity most often to making decisions you would never make otherwise. The woman in the next verse is so desperate for food, she can't go on watching her children suffer and her suffering, so she, along with another mother, agree to take a child's life to stave off hunger. There's more to it. We'll leave it at that. It's it's, it's horrifying, but it's clarifying. The conditions are so dire, so terrible. There's such desperation. It's leading people to do the unthinkable. The king hears this news and he just tears his robe in brokenness. This is what my people are resorting to. They're utterly ruined. They're making decisions that no one should ever have to make. While outside, Ben-Hadad and his his army sit with full goblets of wine, meat, fresh food, fresh produce. We turn to chapter 7 and we find four new characters to the story. Verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Now just a reminder, in this culture, if you have leprosy, you're not just stricken physically, socially, culturally, relationally. You have to leave your family. You have to leave town. It, it, I mean, it is, it's the worst. You are on quarantine the rest of your life, isolation from everybody. If you go around people, you have to yell, unclean, unclean. So these, these, these men, or these four lepers, their whole life has been under siege as all good things have been held away from them. They're outcasts. They're the lowest. They can't live in the city. So they're stuck here between the enemy army and a besieged people. It says, there's four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And they say this, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go in there too. You know what? We might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Like, we're going to die. At least let's go out there and have a chance. So out of desperation, they make this decision. Let's just go out and we'll die swiftly. Or maybe they'll have pity on us. So in verse 5, at twilight... They set out for the camp of the Ramians. Now, this is incredible. Um, they have to walk a little ways, perhaps over a hill. Well, we don't know. But they have to walk to this enemy camp. And as they get closer, there's no ringing of anvils. There's, there's no laughing of soldiers. There's no clatter. There, there's nothing. They're not hearing the sounds of an army. They can see the tents. They can see animals milling around, but they don't see any guards. There should be guards at twilight. There should be something. They don't see a soul. They get closer. They they find the camp that they can see completely devoid of any people. Empty, not a person. Tents are there. Perhaps a fire pit blazing. Horses, donkey, there's there's food, grains of, bags of grain and metal and silver. And they, they open the first tent, look in. Food, wine, gold, where is everybody? 
Now you can imagine their shock. These were men who had no hope just 10 minutes ago. They're walking out of, out of their city gates just to die swiftly or get some pity. And they walk out and there is no one, not a soul in this camp. Now what they don't know is that God had, had caused the army to flee for their lives, leaving everything as it was. They show up to an empty war camp. They look inside. They see that the things are still as they left. And it says in verse 10, they enter the first tent. And what do they do? Well, what would you do? Oh, they start eating. It says they eat and they drink wine. Oh, they are, they are absolutely gorging themselves. You can imagine there's food aplenty because there's an army. And they're just four of them. They eat till they are full. They eat till they are stuffed. I mean, what a meal. These four lepers, they're eating better than the king inside the besieged city. And now, they sit there, full. I mean, this might be the biggest meal that these lepers have ever eaten. Eaten until they are stuffed. They've found life. They've found a salvation that the people inside the city don't have. And then they make a decision. It says this, after they'd eaten their fill, they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Like now that they're full, now that they've, now that they've been filled by this goodness, now they're going to the riches of what they find and they take them off and they go to a cave and they, they hide it. They hoard it away. Loaded arms. Perhaps they got loaded a donkey up. Or I don't know, but they, they got as much plunder as they could and they went and hid it. All these riches. It goes on. They returned, entered another tent. That was just one tent. One tent's worth. They go to another tent. Oh man, this is some great stuff too. They, they, they take some things from there and they hide it also. Two trips of riches. They found food. They found salvation. And what are they doing with it? They're loading it up, and they're hiding it. While a starving city is just over the hill, a city that is literally eating itself. Desperate people are making desperate decisions, and these men are hiding the salvation that they have found. Verse 9, they said to each other, I love this verse. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of gospel. What does it say there? Good news. This is a day of good news. And what we're doing is not right. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of redemption. We have found life. I can see them stopping in their tracks, you know, like gold cups clattering. Like, this doesn't feel right. This isn't how it's, this is supposed to go. They said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. What these men should have done when they found the camp empty, knowing the desperation that lies inside, they, they should have done. They should have sprinted back to the city and said, stop, stop what you're doing. Put it down. Whatever you're about to do, whatever decision you're about to make, no, don't do it. You gotta come with me. Grab your kids, grab your wife, Grab anything you can. Come. You'll never guess what I found. You'll never under, you'll, you can't imagine what I found. Just stop making those decisions and come with me. We have found life. We have found life. I know where it is. Follow me. But they didn't at first. They gorged on, they were filled with it, and they hid it away. Orchard, we live in a world that is desperate. 
And here's why. Anytime a person tries to find their identity or value in something temporary or worldly, it will lead to desperation. And so we have a world of people making desperate decisions because they're finding their identity and their value and their purpose in temporal, temporary things that can never fill them. We have people desperately looking for love. We have people desperately looking for purpose and meaning and value. And in Jesus, we have an eternal and supernatural purpose. Apart from him, apart from Jesus, I settle for a temporary and natural thing that was never meant to satisfy my soul. And that will lead me to desperation. Bottom line, our eternal soul needs to find its identity, its truest identity, not in what's temporary, not what's in this world, but in God, what is eternal. My soul has an unlimited need, and therefore it needs an unlimited source to fill it. And if I'm going to limited sources of this world, I will always be desperate. It will lead me to desperate decisions and doing things that I never thought I would do. And we have found ourselves, probably each of us individually, looking into mirrors, wondering how did that happen? Desperate people do desperate things. And desperation can lead to depravity. An unlimited need must be filled with an unlimited source. All the world can offer is finite and fleeting. The world is desperate. The human heart and soul is desperate for something that's eternal, something that's divine. Everyone is looking for, for these answers, and, and, and I, we have a world of people trying to find them in any number of different ways. You name it, someone's finding identity and value in it. And the good news of Jesus is that there's a glorious, divine calling to the human spirit, to the human heart, where they can come and find peace and forgiveness and true purpose and destiny and calling that isn't finite, isn't limited, but it's from an unlimited source. It's what your soul was created for. Your soul was created by a creator, and he calls you to himself. And at some point, many of you in here listening or tracking with us, you may have heard the good news of Jesus and you made the decision to follow him in faith. You made the decision, like John talked about, of believing. We hear and we believe. We found life. We found salvation. We found redemption. We allowed, we followed this faith. And, and this faith, this, this good news, guess what? It comes with riches. And I'm not talking about money and wealth and prosperity gospel. I'm talking about this. It comes with a wealth, a wealth of priceless virtue and value and identity. It comes with a greater capacity for love as we are filled by the spirit of love. You found the never-ending source of hope in Jesus that tomorrow can always be greater and, and, and there's always heaven waiting for me. Found freedom from a haunting past that I don't have to be defined by my sin anymore. I'm defined by what Jesus did for me. We found love and joy and peace and and patience, and greater capacity. There are so many benefits to the gospel, the good news. There's riches in the good news. It's good news for a reason, and good news by its nature is meant to be shared. We have found this riches. We have found these benefits. And what do some of us do with this? What have many of us done with this at different times? We've been filled by it. 
We've gorged on it like those, those lepers. We found the goodness of God and we were filled. We, but oftentimes then, we loaded up our faith. And we go hide it. We put it away somewhere. We went on with our lives, pretending that that treasure trove that we found over there wasn't with us. I don't, I don't take it with me on Monday. We hide it from a world that's living in desperation. We hide the very things that they need. Like the lepers, we'll even make multiple trips. I'll, I'll go once a week on Sundays. I will, I will fill up and feast on the joy and the celebration. Each week I'll go to growth group or, or go meet with my men's group or, or, or go with the authenticity in the community and, and fill up or each day walking with new hope, fresh forgiveness, new, renewed peace, the benefits of the gospel, and then, but then returning to my life and hiding it and hoarding it from the very people that need it. You see, we know salvation. We, we have, we've been given divine purpose. You've been give, given divine worth and value. You've been told that your worth does not depend on your sin but based on Jesus' work and salvation. Second Kings, we find this account of four people who take the life they find back to those who need it. They say, what we're doing is not right. They take it back to those who need it most. And people were saved. Children were saved. Families saved. Lives transformed. Celebration happened as life showed up, as hope blossomed. In the same way, Orchard, we are called to take the life we have found to those who need it. At some point, people we love, that they would make decisions out of desperation like they are right now. The prayer is that someday the people that we love who don't yet know God would make decisions out of the riches of salvation. That, that they would make decisions out of redemption and goodness and glory and decisions out of hope because of the good news. Listen, because of the good news, you make marriage decisions for your spouse based on divine grace and devotion. Because of the good news, you make parenting decisions for your children out of God's wealth of wisdom and the purpose that he's called them to. Out of the good, because of the good news, you make business decisions out of integrity and redemption. Because of the good news, you make dating decisions out of a full heart that knows your value in the eyes of God. It's a life rooted in salvation makes different decisions than a life scrambling out of desperation. So let's pause. I just want to pause. Hold on one second. Hold on. Just pause everything right now. Let's just stop it all. Stop it all. Because we have worship. And we have a lot of blessings in this church. We have a lot of blessings in this country. We have a lot of blessings in our homes. We have a lot of blessings in our house. We take so much for granted. I do. But we have so much blessings in our worship with our band and this place. And then let's look at the salvation we've been given. We have forgiveness for our sins. We have peace in our present. We have purpose from God. We know that we're called to love God and love people. We have, we have a mission. We have hope for eternity. We have hope for tomorrow. Like, look at the things that we have. We, we've been given peace in the storm. We got to walk through the pandemic differently because of the resource of peace that God gave us. We have freedom from our past. We have hope for tomorrow. So let's pause for one minute at the abundance that we've been given because of the great good news that God gave us. And let's say something really quick. It goes like this. What we're doing is not right. This is good news. 
and we're keeping it to ourselves. We are the church. Jesus ascended into heaven and left the mission in our hands. And he said, go and tell. Just like John, each of us is commissioned at some point. We're not, we're not saved from something. Did you know you're not saved from hell? You're saved for something. You're not saved from something, you're saved for something. And part of it is that we live, wherever you live and work and breathe, that's the place where God has placed you to go and live for him. To love God and to love people. To be a resource. To say, hey, let me just tell you what God has done in my life. Hey, I want to invite you to my church on Easter. Hey, I want to invite you to come with me. Come. I know where there's life. Come. Hey, hey, I know where, the, I know where there's salvation. Hey, come with me. Just come. It's not weird. Well, our preacher's kind of weird, but it's okay. Like, come. We're not, we're, we're not called to hoard our faith in these walls. We are the church. This place is a building. When we leave, what God's done in us goes with us. So let's go. Let's go tell. I want to end with the great, not the great commission. I want to end with a, a commission from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians from the message. I want to read this to you because it talks about the good news and then what that, what that means for us. So listen with me. Because of Jesus, your old life is gone. Praise God. A new life is born. Look at it. Look at what God's done. Look what he's done in you. Look what he's done through you. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and between him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square right with himself through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Jesus' representatives. He's left. God makes his appeal. He makes his appeal to Carbondale, Glenwood, Willits, Basalt, and beyond. He makes his appeal through us for people to drop their differences and enter into God's way of living. We're speaking for Jesus himself when we call others to him. Whoo. That's good news. And good news by its nature is meant to be shared. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. If you came in need of hope today, the hope is this. You're not defined by your sins. You're defined by his grace. If you don't know Jesus today, and you don't know these truths, I'm going to have some of my friends at the back over here that would love to pray with you to receive Jesus. But if those of you who've known him, whether for 10 minutes or, or 40 years, you have been given good news. We can't forget how good it is. It's the only news that really makes a difference in this life. You've been called. You've been commissioned. So let's come together next week with friends that we bring. And let's see what God's going to do. 
Let's be the religious outlier church, the orchard, who's just crazy enough to take God at his word that he is who he says he is, and he wants to do in us and through us what he said. And let us go and tell.